This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I wasn't going to speak about Stephanie Grisham's new White House tell-all, because I figured what else could there be that people don't already know about Donald Trump? Previous books have made clear that the former president was mentally unfit and determined to carry out a coup. These books being tuned to the political chaos and terrifying reality of insurrection and violence. In short, there was nothing funny about these books because they were all too real. They are potent reminders of the clear and present danger Trump poses to this republic on a daily basis and why he belongs behind bars, spotlighting the dark forces unleashed by the former president and his circle of autocratic sycophants. A situation during the transition where the CIA director, Gina Haspel, after the Secretary of Defense, uh, Esper, was fired, worried of a right-wing coup happening behind the scenes privately. Then you had the erosion of all the people around President Trump not corralling him in the presidency. That's why we believe, based on our reporting, the peril does remain. The system barely held together. Will it hold together again if presented with similar circumstances? But with Grisham's tell-all, we are reminded of what Trump really is. A fucking failed reality star, a game show host, obsessed with the size of his own penis, who likes show tunes and McDonald's. I don't know how you do it. I've put together some really impressive deals. But this thing you've pulled off, it's amazing. A big and tasty for just a dollar? How do you do it? What's your secret? Yep, Grisham's book is garbage, but it's the junk food we all need and the perfect complement to Woodward and Costa's peril. It's a reminder that we are not dealing with the all-powerful Oz. And furthermore, the revelations contained in this book are personally humiliating to the former president to such a degree that I'm fucking delighted to highlight them here for you all. Grisham claims that Trump tried to assure her that his equipment was normal after Stormy Daniels described it as a character in Super Mario Brothers. I was in the pool! Because at the end of the day, Trump can go fuck himself. And sometimes, instead of the pen, you need the sword. You say, Mommy, Mommy, please take me home. We'll get back to the hard questions later, and we'll certainly discuss the possibility of Trump's prosecution for election tampering in the next episode. Donald Trump said out loud that he called Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and tried to get him to throw out the 2020 election results. But today, though, I want to wallow in the tawdry details of the book. So without further ado, I present all the tawdry details of former Trump's press secretary, Stephanie Grisham's I'll Take Your Questions Now. When Donald Trump first ran for president, he promised he would hire only the best people. Now yet another one of the people that he hired and put in a top position in his administration has turned on him, portraying Trump as hot-tempered, abusive, and dishonest. Let's start with the title. It's irony in that Grisham was famous for never holding a press briefing in her entire career. In her book, she writes, I knew that sooner or later the president would want me to tell the public something that was not true or that would make me sound like a lunatic. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by 
injection inside or or almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're gonna have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. Miss Grisham recalls her time working for a president, she said, constantly berated her and made outlandish requests, including a demand that she appear before the press corps and reenact a certain call with the Ukrainian president that led to Mr. Trump's first impeachment, an assignment she managed to avoid. It's a joke. Impeachment for that? When you have a wonderful meeting or you have a wonderful phone conversation? It was beautiful. It was just a perfect conversation. Trump and his dwindling circle of scumbag advisors have already moved to discredit Ms. Grisham's account of her White House tenure with such force that you know that she has touched a nerve with the narcissistic former president. Stephanie didn't have what it takes, and that was obvious from the beginning, Mr. Trump said in a statement on Tuesday. He said she has become very angry and bitter after a breakup. She had big problems, and we felt that she would work out those problems for herself. Now, like everyone else, she gets paid by a radical left-leaning publisher to say bad and untrue things. A Trump spokesperson calls Grisham a disgruntled former employee and says, quote, this book is another pitiful attempt to cash in on the president's strength and sell lies about the Trump family. Melania Trump George has put out her own statement through her office saying that the book is, quote, an attempt to redeem herself after a poor performance as press secretary, failed personal relationships and unprofessional behavior at the White House. Trump may be reacting to how desperate he appears in Grisham telling to win the approval of Vladimir Putin, looking less like the strong man he fancied himself than a love-struck high school teenager with a crush on the quarterback. Putin's lack of reciprocation seemed to make the president want to impress him even more. With all the talk of sanctions against Russia for interfering in the 2016 election and for various human rights abuses, Trump told Putin, Okay, I'm going to act a little tougher with you for a few minutes, but it's for the cameras, and after they leave, we'll talk. You understand, Miss Grisham writes, recalling a meeting between the two leaders during the Group of 20 summit in Osaka in 2019. Today, two women who were, as they say, in the room where it happened, are providing critical new details about the dangerous state of U.S.-Russia relations during the last administration, brought on by what can only be described as fawning on the part of Donald Trump toward Vladimir Putin. Putin, for his part, found Trump to be a fucking moron, a useful idiot in espionage terms to manipulate and control. This is all well documented, especially in light of Russian incursions into the 2016 and 2020 elections. I think this just is, is more, more evidence, as if any were needed, that the Trump administration, but Donald Trump in particular, was extraordinarily weak in the face of Putin's aggression. Trump undermined our allies in NATO. He uh, he slobbered all over Vladimir Putin. He publicly said in Helsinki that he believed Putin's uh, descriptions of election interference over our own intelligence community's descriptions. And look, all the while, Putin was developing hypersonic weapons. He was imprisoning uh, opposition figures. He was poisoning uh, potential spies uh, who had helped the West. During that meeting, Miss Grisham listened to Fiona Hill, Mr. Trump's top advisor on Russia, who later became an impeachment witness, 
who observed what she said were Mr. Putin's subtle efforts to throw Mr. Trump off guard. As the meeting began, Hill leaned over and asked me if I had noticed Putin's translator, who was a very attractive brunette woman with long hair, a pretty face, and a wonderful figure. She proceeded to tell me that she suspected the woman had been selected by Putin specifically to distract our president. While he was in the White House, Trump's targets included a young press aide who Ms. Grisham says the president repeatedly invited up to his Air Force One cabin, including once to look at her ass. The former president, she writes, instructed her to promote the woman and keep her happy. Instead, Ms. Grisham tried to keep her away from the president at all costs, fearing what the creeper-in-chief might do if the two were ever inadvertently left alone. Then there was this unnerving exchange that sums up just about everything you need to know about fucking Trump. During an Oval Office rant about E. Jean Carroll, who accused Trump of raping her in the 1990s, he first insults Miss Carroll's looks. Mr. Trump tells The Hill, quote, I'll say it with great respect. Number one, she's not my type. Number two, it never happened. It never happened, okay? Then he gazes into Miss Grisham's eyes and says something that freaked her out completely. You just deny it, he told Miss Grisham. That's what you do in every situation. Right, Stephanie? You just deny it, he repeated, emphasizing the words. It's a totally false accusation. I have absolutely no idea who she is. There's some picture where we're shaking hands. It looks like at some kind of event. I have my coat on. I have my wife standing next to me. And I didn't know her husband, but he was a newscaster. But I have no idea who she is, none whatsoever. She says one frequent target of Mr. Trump's ire was Pat Cipollone, who served as White House counsel. He didn't like them telling him that things he wanted to do were either unethical or illegal, so he'd scream at them. But then he'd usually listen, and then yell at them again later. Then there was the Stormy Daniels affair. According to Grisham, Trump was not very troubled by reports of his infidelity or the payment of hush money. Of course he wasn't. He has no fucking conscience or shame. What bothered the former president was that Stormy ridiculed the size of his penis on Jimmy Kimmel, comparing it to a tiny toadstool mushroom. You also described the president's penis in, let me just read it. Do you have it bookmarked? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and you highlighted it? Highlighted. He knows he has an unusual penis. It has a huge mushroom head, like a toadstool. But you also say it's smaller than average. Do you know how much hate mail I've gotten from people who love Mario Kart? <laughs> Grisham claims that Trump tried to assure her that his equipment was normal after Stormy Daniels described it as a character in Super Mario Brothers. For a man who fancies himself a great swordsman, this could not stand. So, Trump called Grisham while aboard Air Force One to defend the size of his cashew-sized member. Oh yes sir, Miss Grisham replied. Significant shrinkage. Can you imagine the press release? President Trump says reports of his tiny wiener are untrue. He in fact is packing a salami in his golf pants. I guarantee you there's no problem, I guarantee you. I always call it massive. Sometimes they say huge. Then Melania would give some kind of affirmation. Yes, Donald is very, very big, sorry. I am literally making myself sick, but it's just too much to resist. Then there's his taste in music. You would think that a big tough guy like Trump would love, I don't know, Ted Nugent of Van Halen, classic rock. 
The type of stuff that his MAGA faithful would pump their fists in pure macho swagger while cradling an M16? Nope. Wrong. Trump loves show tunes. In fact, according to Grisham, Trump's handlers designated an unnamed White House official known as the Music Man to play him his favorite songs. If Trump went into a deep rage, which was daily, they would play memory from cats to try to improve his mood. She writes that there is a Trump aide in the White House who was designated as the Music Man to play him his favorite show tunes, including Memory from Cats. And they would play those oh songs when the president was in a bit of a rage and the music was meant to calm him down. Grisham was also a close-up observer of Trump's obsession with control and details a scene in which the president undergoes a colonoscopy without anesthesia because, she reasons, even temporarily assigning power to the vice president would have been showing weakness. Well, Trump apparently went to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center without disclosing to the media that he was going or why. It was a days-long mystery in the national news, but Grisham's book strongly hints that the president went for a simple colonoscopy. As for the elaborate concealment, she writes that Trump was resistant to having Vice President Mike Pence in power even for a short period of time, and he didn't want to be the butt of a joke on late night TV. In the end, Ms. Grisham stood by as three chiefs of staff, two press secretaries, and countless other aides resigned while Grisham stayed. It doesn't make her good or bad. It is what it is to quote Dick Cheney. She certainly doesn't expect you to like her. What we get instead is the truth behind the lie. A very personal history of the most thin-skinned president to ever haunt the West Wing with his teeny tiny mushroom-shaped pecker. Someone order a big sausage pizza. Put the lime in the coconut to drink them both together. Put the lime in the coconut and you feel better. Put the lime in the coconut. And now for the main event. Let's get back to some more serious topics now with my next guest, Kurt Eichenwald. Returning to Mea Culpa for the second time, Eichenwald is a two-time Pulitzer finalist for his work at the New York Times as an investigative reporter and the author of six books, the latest entitled The Big Lie, about the fraud and misinformation perpetuated by British doctor Andrew Wakefield. His fake research is responsible for an entire subsection of anti-vax propaganda that certain vaccines can cause autism. Proven demonstrably false, Wakefield nonetheless remains a potent force in anti-vax circles and laid the groundwork for a massive anti-vax infrastructure that pumps out industrial quantities of fucking misinformation. It's through that research that Eichenwald became familiar with the darker corners of the MAGA internet, clashing with QAnon supporters and GOP extremists, all of whom gathered to protest COVID vaccine restrictions. He joins us today to discuss his fear that we are headed towards a national abyss, a darkness that we are powerless to stop. In short, Eichenwald worries that our country has become a failed state. What comes next is even more frightening. So let's listen now to that conversation. So, Kurt, you retweeted a fantastic quote today provided by Steve Schmidt, who wrote, and I quote, Dear Trump, Disgrace will always precede your name. 
Your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will grow up ashamed of their names. One day, I suppose there will be some small and not much visited library that bears your name. It will be the type of place where a drunk walks by, staring at the wall for a minute before deciding it is beneath his dignity to piss on. I can only hope we see this day sooner than later, but look into your crystal ball for a moment and predict when history will finally turn and break the spell that Trump has upon the populace and the GOP in general. When does this all end and how? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, when you get down to it, 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 it's sort of like you, you look at the McCarthy era. When, when did it break? I mean, for some people, it never did. Uh, you know, you have some some uh, uh, Fox News types that are out there still going, well, McCarthy was right. McCarthy, as if as if you know, the abuses that we're talking about were not the issue. Uh, but it took it took a pretty big blow up for to knock a McCarthy office office pedestal. You know, we've seen Trump take a thousand bullets and still be celebrated and you know ultimately it's it's not um it's not my concern about uh his base his base i don't think is ever going to leave it's about the lack of dignity and patriotism and honesty and integrity of the leadership of the republican party um, that are willing to, I mean, they're willing to kill people in order to uh, uh, maintain power. They're willing to stand by and let a, uh, 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 you know, a disease ravage this country rather than anger the base. They are willing to, you know, play games with the economic health of this country for political gamesmanship. They are willing to do anything just for games playing. And at some point it is going to explode. I don't see, you know, no matter what you want to say about the political party, the Republican party under when Joe McCarthy was around, there were people of integrity then. There were people who were pushing back against McCarthy. I don't see that now. I see conspiracy theorists i see liars i see you know and anybody who doesn't go in complete lockstep is suddenly tossed aside as if they are you know the uh, a communist i mean it's 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 amazing and i mean who would have ever thought that liz cheney would be considered you know persona non grata in the in the republican party you know, regardless of what she supports, it has nothing to do with what you support. It has to do with are you willing to tell the lies? And um, so I, I don't know if you know. We really have one one scenario, which is that the Republican Party collapses in on itself. If it doesn't, I don't see this ending well at all. Well, I don't think you think I don't think you think that the Republican Party is going to collapse, right? That it's going to be a one-party country, simply just the Democratic oh, no, no, Party. No, 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 no. I, I think I think that the, the there are there are two options. That uh, you know, the Republican Party is not a conservative party. It, it's it's a mishmash of garbage. It's like somebody took the original Republican Party and chewed on it for a while and 
<laughs> threw in a threw, threw in like a bunch of Lyndon LaRouche stuff and John Birch Society stuff and you know some other stuff from the insane asylum and then threw it all up and that's the current Republican party. You know, there needs to be a conservative party in this country. We don't have one. We have this this party of maniacs that don't stand for conservative principles. And you know, I used to be a, a swing voter. I would be as likely to vote for a Republican as I would be for a Democrat. No more. I will never vote for a Republican again. If there was a conservative party of, you know, actual conservatives who lived in this actual world, I could see myself, you know, once again becoming a swing voter. But I don't see that happening anytime soon because, you know, we're not dealing with rational people. We're not we're dealing with a pro covid party. We're dealing with a pro QAnon party. We're dealing with a party, a pro-default party. We're dealing with a party that is unfit to govern. And, you know, you sort of stand back and go, what is your end game? What are you trying to accomplish? And, I mean, think of it right now in the House of Representatives. You have the, the Republican Party is whipping its members against every business organization in the United States that is trying to get, that wants the infrastructure deal done. Everybody wants the infrastructure deal done. There's, there's, you know, cause we either do it now or we do it later at a higher cost. You know, the bridges aren't going to fix themselves. And so you sort of stand back and go, what is it you guys want to accomplish? What is it you're trying to do? And, and you just, you just sort of marvel at them because there is no governance left in what they do. I mean, I live in Texas. We are being ravaged by COVID. You know what this state government has done about COVID? Absolutely nothing. There have been no bills, no hearings, no nothing. The last time anything was tried was in May of 2020, when Greg Abbott got a report on how to properly reopen the state. He didn't like it because it was too slow. And so he fired the consultants who present, prevent, presented it and just said, throw it all open. And that caused the explosion of, of COVID here. Um, you know, they don't, they're not serious in governance. Um, you know, and so what are we dealing with in Texas right now? Critical race theory and abortion and transgender and, you know, all this stuff that that, you know, meanwhile, I am terrified of the possibility that I'll have some medical problem because there's no room in the hospitals, you know. And what's our state government doing? Are Republicans in off? Are, what are they doing about it? Absolutely nothing because they don't govern anymore. OK, but let's go you back. Know? Let's go back to the to the original question, Trump, which is, about, which is really about Trump and losing support. Now, I just want to go and refer you to a article that was written on April 27th of 2021, 100 days um, into Biden's um, presidency. And it was an NBC news poll that turned around and said that for the first time that, and I, I want to make sure I get this right, 44% of Republicans say that they support the former president more than they support the Republican Party. Now, that's sick, the fact that it's even 44%. But 
Here's the bright side of it. That's a decline from 50%. And it's the first time since July of 2019 that party supporters outnumbered Trump supporters. Now, I'm going to agree with you on something. The Trump supporters that are out there are fucking wacky. They are insane. They are crazy. And they're willing to get down and dirty. They're willing to get violent, as we saw in the January 6th insurrection. That's not who the other, we'll say, 56% of the Republican Party represents. These are the Trump loyalists, the lunatics that were the insurrectionists that are now crying to the court, hey, I didn't know the president told me to go there, right? These are the people that are the diehard Trump supporters. But you can't win an election with 44% of just the Republican Party vote. No, but what they're they're doing is... um you know they're they're appealing the republican party has been shifting for about 11 years since 2010 with the emergence of the tea party and they've been sort of feeding this conspiracy mindset um you know to the to the extent that i was writing about it in 2015 saying this is really dangerous guys you guys are are you know you know better i mean i was ta- i was writing about ted cruz i was writing about all of these guys who why? are feeding these why? things like... Why would you waste your time writing about Ted Cruz? He's the most pathetic of them all. Because it looked... I, I was I was saying this is what's going to happen, and it happened. You know, that, that um, the Republican Party was indulging the conspiracy theories of an emerging base with, you know, Agenda 21 and all of this other nonsense. You know, I don't know if you remember Jade Helm... You know, all that other nonsense they were coming up with back then and um, and saying this is going to become a driving force in the Republican Party. Conspiracy theories are going to become, you know, their new reality if they don't stop. And it did. And the problem is that now there's nobody there's nobody to stand up and say this is nonsense. You know, the covid vaccine doesn't turn you into an alligator. You know, I mean, you know, there is there is no giant. Consp- I mean, why? Why? You know, 54 percent. I saw a, a poll today that just blew my mind. Fifty four percent of Republicans think that the death toll from covid in the United States is acceptable. Ninety percent of Democrats think it's un- unacceptable. The majority of Republicans think 700,000 deaths is acceptable. So I saw the same thing that you did. I saw the same thing. There was a woman who was being interviewed and they they asked her whether she was vaccinated. She said no. She then further stated that one of members of her family, I believe it was her mother, had just recently passed from COVID. And they said, isn't that impetus enough for you to get vaccinated, you just lost your mother. And I think maybe the woman was about 70 who had passed somewhere in that ball in that ballpark. And she said, no, no, Donald Trump has told us and I read online that it is not safe. Now, me personally, I would have asked her. I heard that the vaccination causes enlargement of your testicles. And I would ask her if that's a concern. She you said know, that, that? No, I would ask her <laughs> that question because it's, 
It's just so stupid. The fact that she lost her mother and she's still refusing to get vaccinated. It just goes to show you the people that Donald Trump attracts. It is the lowest of the low, the dumbest of the dumb, and those who truly don't believe anything, even if it, by the way, it comes out of Donald's mouth. Yeah, it came out of his mouth for two seconds. And then they booed and he completely backed off. I mean, but think about it. What name a Republican who has stood up, you know, a Republican leader who has stood up and said, we have to have uh, uh, vaccinations. We have to have we have to work together as Democrats and Republicans to stop this scourge. We cannot have a million Americans die. It's like, oh, this is all right. You know, oh, my freedom. You know, I mean, they're acting like it's not happening. And they, if any of them say anything about vaccines, it's always in the context of, well, that's the best choice, you know, as if, as if, you know, as if you're talking about whether or not somebody picks a particular cancer treatment and not something, whether somebody picks something that determines whether or not we're going to continue to have community spread. And so, and that's the problem that Trump and the current Republican Party have created which is this idea that, you know, you're not the boss of me is somehow constitutional freedom. You know, they have become they've been they've invested completely in the concept of I get to do what I want and have abandoned the concept of responsibilities as a citizen. Yeah, you start to see these GOPers, they're seething. They're seething at Biden's mandate uh, for vaccination of federal employees. I mean, Look, I'm all for it. I've been vaccinated. My family's been vaccinated. Thank God uh, there's no issues. My testicles aren't swollen. I feel pretty I feel pretty good. Uh, I'm looking forward to my you know ultimate outdate from this home confinement, then I'll feel even better. But I wanted then just move on for a quick second. On set last week, September 23rd, as part of a long tweet chain, you wrote the following: America is a failed state. Hope and nostalgia are keeping it afloat, but that can't last. When one-third of the population is delusional, a major political party has abandoned governing, national interest is sacrificed to short-term political gain, the grand experiment is coming to an end. Now, if you would do me a favor, unpack this statement for me and my listeners for a moment. Where does this all end up if we are indeed a failed state? Are we doomed for more Trump-led autocracy? Are we doomed for um, a monarchy or a dictatorship under the Trump MAGA flag? Um, I think that we sort of have to face the fact that the American era is over. Um, And it is over because we as a people have inherited a greatness that we had nothing to do with building and have merely been... You know, taking the bragging rights of others and contributing nothing to any further greatness. You know, what have we done? We have done tax cuts and we have done spending. That's it. Uh, we and we have not we have not invested in anything in particular. I mean, look at look at the rest of the world. You know, you have you have uh, 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 other nations talking about you know twenty second century uh, infrastructure. We still have we're still living in the early 20th century in infrastructure. You know, we have uh, we have the I think one of the worst things I've ever seen 
is that we had a booming economy, very high debt, and we had a massive tax cut. That's never happened in the history of the world. Because when you have a booming economy, that's when you raise taxes. And yeah, I created a short-term boost, but then the price gets paid later on. You know, you have a political party that has no interest in governing. It has interest in power. It is going to be a train wreck. There is no way around it anymore. You know, we are, we are building and building and building towards uh, an endpoint that is unavoidable. And I think, you know, to a degree, we should be scaring the rest of the world because we are a country with massive amount of debt where, where we have a government that plays around with it in a way that could cause a world depression, which is what which is what's going on. I mean, these people think we can just say, oh, we're going to delay paying you know, interest for a few days, which is going to cause, you know, a years long collapse of the markets. Uh, and that's the kind of environment that leads to people like Trump seizing even more power. We have a massive military. That's really all we've got. You know, well, I would like to think I'd like to think we have more than that here in this country. We are we are tremendous in innovators. Uh, There's a lot that comes out of America. The thing about the the thing about innovators, you know, look at Brexit. We had they had great financial innovation in Britain and it's gone now. They just picked up and left. Great American innovation can be gone tomorrow. You know, there's no reason it needs to stay here. And if we end up messing up our country, which we're doing a really good job at, you know, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, when all you focus on is cutting taxes and allowing the country to decay, which we have, you know, I mean, I will I will never forget. I was I was. um I was at dinner with uh, a group of Italian businessmen and um, it was a very, you know, nice dinner. And I said, what do you think of the United States? It was like, oh, very nice. And I was like, come on, tell me the truth. I'm not going to get offended. And they're just, we can't understand it. Why? And it's like this country is killing itself. Why does it do these things? Why? You know, when does it expect to, I mean, basically their point being everything's falling apart in terms of, you know, investment with the country. And, you know, there's only so much that can be done in terms of, in terms of, uh, 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 you know, financial engineering as being a driving force of the economy. You know, eventually we do have to build stuff. Well, eventually and we do have to st- start dealing with this, you know, with this debt that we're passing along to the future generations, something which is completely unsustainable. You know, I'm sitting and I'm watching as the GOP are attacking Joe Biden for just about everything. Now, you cannot have two parties that are at war with one another simply for power. And neither party, by the way, believes any of the shit that they're saying. But we have to turn around and we look. Like today, to me, the most disgusting thing that I saw was Josh Hawley 
asking General Milley questions <laughs> about <laughs> Afghanistan. Listen, Josh, fuck you, you scumbag, <laughs> right? You fucking insurrectionist asshole, right? You have the right to question a four-star general? In what fucking planet? Well, Earth. In what country? America, right? And for what? And then you sit and you listen to, like, Mitch McConnell, right? Another complete asshole that is completely obsessed with power. I'm not raising the debt ceiling. The GOP is going to fight Biden's, you know, decision to do what? To put three-plus trillion dollars into infrastructure bill. Now, I don't know how the roads are in Texas. I've been away for a while. I've been at, um, at camp, uh, you know, uh, so I don't I haven't been to Texas, to Dallas and so on in a long time. But I can tell you that the roads here in New York suck. I can tell you that my son, who has low profile tires on his car, because now everything comes with low profile tire, has exploded three tires based upon hitting rebar that's sticking out of the concrete. Our streets look like Baghdad after a bombing. This is not a joke, all right? And we want to start rebuilding for what? First of all, some of the work that's being done is so shoddy because the way that they're handing out these contracts. But what the GOP forgets, first of all, McConnell was adamant about in 2018 raising the debt ceiling. And so adamant that the GOP under Trump in four years... You know how many times they raised the debt ceiling in Trump's four years? Three times. Three times for $7 trillion. Now, this, of course, is the orange-crusted, bloviated, ignorant, arrogant asshole that turned around and said, I'm going to balance the budget in one year. That's what I do. That's what I do. I'm the best at budgets. No. No. Not only did you not balance it, Right. On top of that, he increased it by seven trillion dollars. Now, it was needed. He got hit with the coronavirus. But what happened year one? What happened year two? Right. I mean, the notion that he thought he was going to balance the budget. That's what happens when you take somebody who's completely ignorant of the way this country works and ignorant in the fact that he doesn't believe that anybody else's opinion means anything. It's all what he thinks, which is why he, of course, knows more than the military, which is why he ended up putting Biden into the situation on the withdrawal from Afghanistan. The fact that Biden had a plan, right, with the help of the Joint Chiefs, 124,000 people in two weeks moved. And, of course, the death of the 13 soldiers is terrible. But here's something that I want my listeners to also reflect upon. You know how many thousands of Americans were killed in Afghanistan? How many um, of our um, of other forces from our you know alliance um, alliances died or injured or maimed as a direct result of their intervention in Afghanistan? So let's not take the thirteen. Though it would have been great if we didn't lose anyone, but a hundred and twenty-four thousand in an area that we've been at war at war in for twenty years. I would have to say that they did a pretty good job. And the fact that you can have someone like Josh Hawley sit there and question somebody with the integrity of Austin or General Milley, this is, this is disgraceful. It was absolutely disgraceful watching this fucking prick there sitting there and beating up or trying to beat up on General, on General Milley. It, 
I wish I wish I was there just sitting in the crowd. I would have been thrown out, but I would have just started heckling the guy. <laughs> I would have done whatever I could. I would have been heckling him. Well, and what's so stupid is we know that if uh, if uh, Trump had done it, you know, in in on January 15th and, you know, 100 people, 100 soldiers had been killed. They'd all been going, well, that's great. We're out of way. Well, war does. Have it's only 100, 100 out of 124,000. You know what the percentage is? It's less than a tenth of one yeah. percent. He did great. Why are you attacking him? Yeah. Let me ask you this yeah. question. I mean, it's last a- week. Let me ask you this, Kurt. Last week's subpoenas handed down to Trump's inner circle marked a more aggressive phase of the January 6th committee's investigation. Now, there are now hints that the ultimate goal here is an insurrection charge for Trump and for those who helped him. Is this wishful thinking or with enough? Um, will, will this force like the Justice Department to finally do something? And do you think this could be achieved? To, think, to me, the most interesting thing about Trump is that he commits his crimes in, in full view of everyone, which, yeah, <laughs> you know, which that, he, that he does, which, which, is, which is sort of it's sort of bizarre because you sort of, you know, there's nothing really to investigate. It's like, well, there it is on TV, you know. Um, and so I've always looked at it and said, well, he's committed he's committed a felony under under D.C. law. Um, and D.C. law is enforced by U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia. Um, and I have expected that he would be, you know, because there is an incitement law in the District of Columbia. Um, I have expected that that the uh, prosecutors there have been standing back waiting for the committee uh, but if they if the committee comes up with, you know, even more material, uh, I would not be surprised to see Trump get indicted because what he did. I mean, it's not it's not a question of did he commit the crime of incitement? He did. There's no question. You know, I saw it. You saw it. We all saw it. It was public. You know, how much of it was preplanned? That's all we have to find out. But already we know, you know, did it. Did it amount to conspiracy? We don't know that part yet. But um, but if if we get to that part through the committee, um, we'll find out. But, you know, ultimately, Trump Trump should be on the hook already. You know, it is it is obvious that he committed a felony already. It's not um, just Donald, yeah, though. We saw him do it. But, Kurt, it's not just Donald. It's no. Don Jr. It's Rudy Giuliani. It was Josh Hawley. It was Mark Meadows. Mm-hmm. And these four that I'm referring to. So let's just really quickly run through them. All right. You have Steve Bannon, who was his chief strategist. Originally, he was involved in the campaign as a campaign manager. A batshit crazy guy who got thrown out of the inner circle, came back. Got thrown out again, came back. What he... He, I find to be the most interesting because he's not capable of claiming executive any type of privilege because he wasn't working for the government at all. He was like and he was like a mercenary, so to speak. Right. Then, of course, after that, you have Mark Meadows, his chief of staff. Now, that would be interesting to be able to see communications uh, between the two of them, whether or not, you know, um, 
Meadows told him we need to bring, you know, the National Guard or we need to bring in additional troops uh, in order to stave this. clearly walked close to the flame. And I'd be interested to see if he put his hand there. Yeah, you and and me, because I'm certain that Trump knew what was going on. I know the man better than virtually anybody. He was watching on all all televisions up in the, you know, up in the residence with such elation that these people were there smashing the Capitol, wearing MAGA hats, MAGA flags, Trump flags. You know, he's counting the number of hats times 25 bucks, you know, figuring out how much money that he made on it. That's enjoying the fact that this paramilitary group was attempting a coup in his name. But then again, you have Cash Patel, who I just find very, very interesting why he was there in the first place, his you know, um, affiliation, I think, what was it, with the Pentagon? Uh, so, you know, what his interaction was. But the most interesting for me is Dan Scavino, Trump's uh, former general yeah. manager to Trump National Golf Club in Briarcliff, who I think started out first as a caddy, then became the general manager that got fired, that ended up coming to me to bring him into Trump's office to become his social media guru. And Basically, the only reason that he's still there is because of the blind, stupid loyalty that he keeps showing to Donald. And Donald knows that he's got a moron and a patsy on his hands. So therefore, he keeps him around and elevated him. But is it any different? Look at the elevation. He goes from, you know, general uh, manager to a, of a golf club, right, all the way to the White House. But is it any different than his bodyguard becoming the chief operating officer of the Trump organization, right, Matt Calamari, or a guy who was a bookkeeper becoming the CFO of the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg? That's just what Donald knows. He knows who he can manipulate and control and keep in the inner circle. And Scavino knows what it's like to be on the outs. So he'll do anything to stay on the in even if that means the destruction of America as we know it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is that it's, it's amazing to me how many of these people are willing to sacrifice so much. You know, basically, in a way, I always wonder, are they just really hoping that we're reaching the end of history? That, you know, that... that that the normal, the the usual swing back to normal will not occur. That uh, that the MAGA world will gain control, and that you know <laughs> that that history will be told in a different way. Because otherwise, they're going to be the villains. You know, history will look back on this, and Donald Trump will be seen as a horrific villain. Uh, you know, uh, uh, not just an aberration. But, you know, uh, the America's dance, uh, America's dance toward fascism. And, you know, the the danger is, of course, if we fall there. Now, I don't know what the Republican Party is going to do. You know, I mean, they're right now, either we go into fascism and they flourish or we don't. And they're adrift. You know, I don't know what they have. They don't have a policy. They don't have anything to offer. All they have is like, let's keep giving money to rich people and uh, we don't stand for it. And let's generate hate against, uh, you know, blacks and transgender. And I mean, that's all that their policies are. You know, it's like, let's find new people to hate 
and uh, you know to keep to keep the MAGA people going and uh, tax cuts. You know, one of the things, um, Kurt, that, that I had know. one of the things that I brought up to you in the very first question was about a Trump library, and as you know, there is absolutely no interest right now. There is no location. There is no interest in building a Trump library for obvious reasons. First and foremost, in a, in a library, in a Trump library, you would find writings, you would find uh, memos, you would find all sorts of documents for acts and bills that the president worked on and so on. Trump didn't pass a single, a single act. Nothing, nothing was passed under Trump other than a handful of executive orders. I mean, the one bill that actually went through bipartisan was the First Step Act. And as you know, I'm fighting with the Bureau of Prisons every single day. Michael Carvajal, absolutely incompetent in the fact that there's still no determination how to figure out earned time credit from hours to days. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And we're seeing how many different facilities now closing in Atlanta, as an example. There have so many, there are so many cases that the law requires in 90 days. You have to either be indicted or you get got to get cut out on bail uh, without having to post the bail. So, you know, everything is upside down and backwards. The whole system is backwards. And it's one thing. See, this is where Trump scores points. He turns around and he makes a very bold, popularist statement. Our country has a serious immigration problem. Now, I think whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, you're going to nod your head and say, yeah, I agree with him. And we got to stop this. We have to stop it now because, quite frankly, you know, a country without borders, quite frankly, isn't a country. You know, such a fucking moron, right? I mean, then... Instead of coming up with a plan on how to fix the immigration problem, tear it down. Comes up with a slogan. The, right, it's, that's what it is. It's a slogan, right? We're going to build a wall and who's going to pay for it? And of course, we all know Mexico didn't pay for shit. We know that there was, he's the best builder. They didn't build shit as far as, as, far as a wall. Not any new, um, any new walls. What they did is they put back up. And they fixed a bunch of walls that had fallen down over time. So the point being, there is never a plan when it comes to Trump. The same thing happened with his at the immigration um, level at the very beginning of his presidency, when instead of it being an immigration plan, he created a Muslim ban. And when I was with him in the Oval Office, he blamed it on Steve Bannon and Steve Miller, two fucking racists, you know, who absolutely wanted a Muslim ban. And, you know, Trump was like, don't worry, we'll get it right the next time. Well, they never even attempted to get it right. So if you looked and you tried to figure out, say to yourself, well, what passed? What bills actually passed as a result of Trump? Well, yes, yeah, $7 trillion in additional spending. But I don't know, it doesn't really provide anything to yeah, go into I a library. I disagree with you. There might be a library if he can figure out a way for the Trump organization to make money off of building one. You know, I, and I'm going to now disagree with you, Kurt. Let's go. Let's let's play a little back and forth here. First of all, he had that. I legitimately lost ten dollars as a bet to a buddy of mine when Nike left the space um, on 57th Street between Madison and Fifth Avenue. 
I was 100%, it's like 50,000 plus square feet on like six levels. It's huge with escalators, the whole nine yards. It's big, big space. I was 100% certain that he was going to turn that because it's attached to the Trump Tower, that he would turn that into the Trump Library. And being that, you know, they own it, he would rent it to the RNC who would end up paying them indefinitely on the lease for the Trump Library, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I thought. But of course they didn't. They ended up leasing it to Tiffany. And um, so much for the idea of a Trump Library. But I do want to just move forward for a second. In another tweet that you wrote on September 20th, um, it says, and I quote, I read a lot of GOP websites and something terrible is brewing. Because they won't accept their ignorance is killing their loved ones. They are blaming the doctors for refusing their Facebook treatments. For example, ivermectin. Um, They are calling MDs and RNs killers. This could end badly. What's occurring in your mind here? And what is the terrible endgame that you fear? Uh, Somebody walking into a hospital with a gun and killing people. Um, it's, It's building. I mean, the... The hardcore Trump QAnon sites, QAnon, I mean, it's this whole mishmash of QAnon, pro-Trump, anti-vax, that whole world uh, for all MAGA types. You know, they went from COVID's a hoax to, um, you know, COVID will disappear after the election to vaguely anti-vax to majorly anti-vax to uh you know they they circled around on hydroxychloroquine then they went to ivermectin and now they're demanding that hospitals give their loved ones ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine which of course they won't then they started pushing this thing that the reason that doctors are putting patients on on uh putting them into icus and the rest to kill them and seeing that a lot they're intubating them to kill them you know once you're on a respirator you're going to be murdered and um so that has become almost a, a an accepted uh statement you know, if you look, there's a there's a MAGA cartoonist who's pretty popular in their world who just came down with COVID and he's refusing to go to the hospital. You know, that's the new thing they're doing is they're refusing to go to the hospital because they're going to go and get murdered and they're staying home so they can have their ivermectin and zinc and vitamin C and whatever else, you know, they they've started using um, hydrogen peroxide through a through a through a nebulizer. I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense. But um, the, the, the vile, you know, it's interesting. Back on December 10th of 2020, I texted to Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani, who were Trump's lawyers, that you are pushing something that is going to end in a violent attack in Washington. And when that happens, it is your fault. And and that didn't come because I'm a genius. That came because I was reading what was happening in these same sites. And they were talking about violent attack in Washington. Um, 
And I'm now starting to see that same thing building up. But this time it's about hospitals. And this time it's about it's about the the evil ones are are lying, conniving, deep state doctors and nurses who are murdering patients because you've got a circumstance now where these people are so thoroughly invested in COVID isn't real. It's just the flu because Don Donald says so the the vaccine is killing everybody uh, and isn't necessary. And if my if if uh, my loved one is in the hospital and died, it can't be because, you know, he, he got covid for not being vaccinated and died from covid. It's because the doctors killed him. Um, and, and doctors report, you know, they have people who are who are on their deathbed denying that they have covid. And so I didn't say it in that tweet, but what I'm talking about is somebody walking into a hospital with a gun and killing, killing doctors and nurses. And it's, you can just see the intensity of it building because right now, you know, in rural America, in red state America, their full families are dying. Um, And they don't understand why. Okay, so you know, Kurt, because look, they don't understand like it's because they're not getting vaccinated. All right, look, e- exactly. Here's what we know: we know that if, in fact, that you're vaccinated, there's like a one percent chance if you catch the coronavirus that you're going to die. Versus ninety nine percent of those that are in the hospital that are on their last breath uh, are all unvaccinated. But the thing that drives me nuts is all of the misinformation that has come out over the course of the last five years, thanks to Donald and the way that he operates. But nothing is more dangerous than misinformation about a vaccination, about drugs. Now, many of my listeners probably think that ivermectin is some type of a hydroxychloroquine or an antibiotic or something like that. It is not. Ivermectin is a, it's a drug that is used to deworm livestock. I mean, I, I, I want to say it again. Well, it can't. No, it, it is. It is used for for people in much lower quantities, but it's not used in the United States. It, it's a. It's a. It's a. It's it, it's used to attack parasites. It's the kind of thing, you know. Uh, if you go to third world, when people have schistosomiasis. You know, where where you're getting uh, parasites from water, from, you know, worms, for example, from water, or from food. And you and you use this in very small quantities. The the problem was that ivermectin. Um, yes, it, if you use it in a test tube against the the covid virus, it will kill the virus if you use it at 10 times the amount that a human being can bear. By the way, I so will so will saccharin and, and so will saccharin. Right. And so will saccharin. <laughs> yeah. Right? If you if you overload so it with saccharin, it will end up yeah. exactly. <laughs> and this is the part that is so upsetting. They know that ivermectin is not what's supposed to be injected into people. It is, for all intents and purposes, it is a dewormer for livestock. And the notion that you would yeah. Yes, and the notion that you would inject that into your body. Because the this right wing online misinformation campaign is that 
this is stupid. This is really stupid. And it doesn't just hurt them. And it is hurting them because they're dying. But it hurts yeah, all of us. Well, it destroys our economy. Right. And it destroys our economy. It, it, it's stopping our ability to get the country back and to get this pandemic under control. Well, you know, the thing is that the biggest problem, and I think probably the most angering thing, is you've got these people who don't believe in science until they're sick. And then suddenly, you know, well, there are those like the cartoonists who are that way till the end. But I guarantee you, if he keeps getting sicker, he's going to run off to the hospital. Yeah. So let me let, know, let me let uh, me do this. Let me let me switch gears for one second, because we're going to run out of mm-hmm. time. And I have some really important questions that I know your expertise would be enlightening to my listeners today. General Milley told senators that calls to his Chinese counterpart and a meeting in which he told generals to alert him if Donald Trump tried to launch a nuclear uh, weapon attack were part of his duties as the country's most senior military officer. What do you make of Milley's action? Um, Do you think that he crossed the line in what he did or was he reacting as a military leader should during what amounted to chaotic and extraordinary times? Well, the first thing about contacting his counterparts in China is perfectly normal. I mean, it's done all the time, particularly when there's a circumstance going on that could be misinterpreted. I mean, you know, a president doesn't just casually reach out to the leader of another country. That's a very, you know, complex established event. And so lower level principles will casually reach out to others. And, you know, when you have a president who's running around screaming, you know, the the election was a fake. And I mean, people in this country didn't know what was going on. And that kind of uh, instability can be seen overseas. You have no idea how it's going to be read. And so um, there could be simply a question in China, well, who's in control? And so for him to pick up the phone and assure the Chinese, that's absolutely proper. You know what? He should not assure the Chinese. He should not say everything's okay. Don't worry about it. What about then his conversations with other uh, U.S. military personnel that nobody is to do anything until he is notified? I think that that goes down to one very simple point, which is that Donald Trump was losing his mind. And I think we can all accept that that everybody outside of the MAGA world can accept that that is true. You know, the man is mentally ill and he was demonstrating that, you know, this is a guy who was saying he was uh, could only lose through fraud before a single vote was cast. This was a guy who was flying off the handle after the election. This was a guy who I mean, we all saw what he was doing. Were we really going to leave it to just him saying, you know, I'm pushing the button. That's it. We're going. And so, yeah, if the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has reason to believe that the president of the United States could be unstable, um, there's reason for him to want to make sure he's in the loop. That's all it was. Make sure I'm in the loop if something happens. You know, bring me in. You know, that's it. That's what he did. 
do you think that's really all? Do you think that's really all? That's that's correct. I think he did that, not say to override I, the president, but the fact is that it is not within his um, scope as you know the head of the Joint Chiefs to be alerted if in fact the president decides you know to do it. Now I'm not saying I don't think he did right. I think in his mind he was thinking that Trump is fucking nuts. And that he will launch an attack that could end up killing millions and millions of people in a nuclear strike because he's that unhinged. He's that batshit crazy. So I'm not opposed to what Milley did. It just, to me, again, I think it's possibly overstepping. But then again, it's Donald Trump we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's sort of like, I mean, again, the action cannot be divorced from the circumstance. You know, if it was if it was the transition from Obama to Trump and that had happened. Well, yeah, that would be sort of bizarre because there was nothing going on. But my God, look at what was going on during that time. Look at the the president of the United States was refusing to allow a transition transition briefings to the president elect. You know, he was instigating a coup. He was, I mean, this is not a normal circumstance. And so for the chairman of the joint chiefs to say, this is not a normal circumstance. We as a country are in danger, you know, uh, and we are. Would I rather that he he act in recognition of that? I mean, perhaps if he was put on notice and he was to say, pick up the phone and say, Mr. Vice President, are you aware that the president is preparing to give a nuclear order? You know, and then they can invoke the 25th Amendment or, uh, you know, or God knows if the Republicans would go, well, but how would that work out for me if I invoke the 25th Amendment, maybe I should preside over the nuclear devastation, you know. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, but but I wouldn't want to be in Millie's position, but um, I hope I would do the same thing he did. Yeah, I would say no harm, no foul. And um, so you want to give him a reprimand, give him a reprimand, fine. No problem, don't do it again. You know, moving forward, Liz Cheney, has staked her political career on the belief that there is a viable Republican Party to be rescued, one that rejects the disgraced former president, but offers an alternative to Democratic policies. Do you believe that there is a way back for the GOP, or do you think that they've soiled themselves with Trumpism so badly that there is no way that they can repair the damage? Now, in addition, if Cheney Republicans create their own party, do you foresee a future where we have a permanent extremist party akin to Trump that will perpetually haunt the far right? I believe, I truthfully believe we are at the point where we need four parties. Um, I think there needs to be, and, and, and I think that that, you know, there needs to be a far left, a far right crazy party. <laughs> There needs to be a, you know, right of center conservative party. And I would put, you know, by right of center right now would be a Liz Cheney. I mean, you know, people who are interested in governance, I don't care 
what their actual political philosophies are. You know, Liz Cheney and I won't agree on a lot of stuff, but I respect the hell out of her because at least she comes into it with with clean hands and she comes into it, you know, with intellectual honesty. And that that is, you know, workable in the frame of government. Uh, You need a left of center party uh, party and you need a progressive party. And I think if we had those four things, um, this country would be governable again. Because truthfully, who's Fox News going to start manipulating for? You know, are they going to be the far right lunatic party? Are they going to be, you know, because those people, once you strip them out of the out, um, I think I think they'll die off pretty quickly. And I would say that's the Republican Party. That's what the Republican Party has turned themselves into. I think that the Liz Cheney's of the world and I would put all of the never Trumpers in this category, too. You know, the never Trumpers are not are not Democrats, um, um, although some of them seem to be becoming closer to Democrats. But they're, you know, they're more centrist and they're they're some of them, but many of them are conservatives. You know, the Republicans are not conservatives. They have nothing. I mean, I remember, you know, when Donald Trump first came out with trade wars I mean, my mouth dropped. It's like, when did Republicans become the party of trade wars? So he became so, so Donald became a big trade war guy as a result of Barack Obama in 2011. I actually have the original letter in my possession where he attacked um, oh, really? Obama. Yes, I do. He attacked Obama uh, in the fact that China was taxing U.S. Uh, automobiles uh, 25 or 21 percent. And he said we should tax them 25 percent. But, you know, Kurt, as I said to you at the beginning, time goes by fast here on Maya Culpa. So I have one last question for you. Um, okay. The Washington Post recently published an op-ed that if Georgia doesn't pursue Trump for election tampering, then the Justice Department must. If there is no accountability for what these people are doing to our elections, there will be no deterrent from it ever happening over and over again. Now, what do you think is stopping Merrick Garland and the DOJ from pursuing Trump over his election antics? And what do we need to do? Um, well, primarily, there is, a, there is a standard within the Justice Department, I feel. Not the Pickwick standard. It's something like that, though, where you allow the state to go first. You know, it's a violation of the state laws. And so you just sort of stand back and you watch and let the state do what it's going to do. If the state passes, ultimately, if they decide we're not going to do anything, then the feds can step in. Now, there's a problem with Georgia's if that is that if the state passes, well, then if the Justice Department comes in on Georgia, you know, it's it's going to be, well, wait, the state found there was nothing there. Um, so why is the Justice Department coming in? Um, I, you know, that case looks pretty bad for Trump, and he's been freaking out recently. I, I, something seems to be coming uh, for him. I don't know if it's from there or not, but something bad seems to be getting set up for him given how he's acting recently. Um, you know, there are so many elements of exposure for Trump and 
I think it's really very, very clear that our that our electoral system is in grave danger. And I think that the Democrats are underestimating it. I think they think this is like, you know, just another day, you know, just like it was eight years ago or 10 years ago. I don't think they recognize that we really are at a point where democracy is in the balance and that, you know, there are a lot of people who are saying 2024 could be the end of everything. And that, I I I do think that's true. I think that we are at a point where democracy is hanging by a thread. And that it's this is what has happened when you have a political party. I mean, let's face it, the Republican Party has given up trying to appeal to voters through policies. You know, the last time they even considered doing that was in uh, 2013 when they had their, you know, after election uh, uh, autopsy report that they said, here's what we need to do. And we need to reach out and do this, that and the other. And they threw it all away and tripled down on uh, on this kind of nonsense, on conspiracy theories and white supremacy and all this other horrible stuff. Okay, so what so then what's stopping? So, Kurt, what's stopping Merrick Garland? from pursuing Trump over this election bullshit. I mean, look, he well, is I, our I, attorney I, general. This is in his hands. I think, he, I think they're waiting for Georgia. I think they're waiting for the state to finish, which is which, again, if they didn't wait, the state could go to the court and say, this is not how it's supposed to go. You know, the state is supposed to go first. And and there there is actual policy on this. It, it is there is a. I can't again, I, I want to say it's Pickwick, but I know that's not right. Um, um, but there is there is a rule about the state going first. And it was so, some sort of a supremacy law. No, it's it was established in a case and um, uh, but it's always followed by the Justice Department where they allow because it's a violation of state law because uh, because the election laws are state laws. And so um, and then you can take it and you can tra- you can transform it into a federal law, you know, through a federal through a federal voting law. But it's it's much more clearly a state violation. Um, Under, yeah, so, fully understandable. Yeah. And so and so in terms of the Georgia case, they're doing it. You know, that I fully firmly assume is what they're doing uh, in terms of the you know we go back to the original incitement case that should be a federal case and uh but you know there there are so trump has so many different exposures and there are so many um things out there but there's also something i think everybody needs to remember which is if they are investigating the former president of the United States, there would be the biggest lockdown that has ever been put in place in terms of who knows about it and how it's being handled. I mean, that would be one of the most solid prevent leaks scenarios you could imagine. Um, And so I don't think we're going to know really what's going on for 
or there could be something going on right now and we don't even know about it. Well, what bothers um, me the most but, is the fact that Merrick Garland has done nothing as far as the multitude of actions that should have already been opened, should be under investigation by another special counsel. And I'm, I could think off the top of my head at least a dozen. And the fact of the matter is the person or the group that's going to end up, in my opinion, really putting an end to Trump to this bullshit notion of him running in 2024 is the district attorney here in New York, Cyrus Vance's office, as well as our attorney general, Tish James, with now bringing in Mark Pomerantz. This is the case, the one that I'm so heavily involved with. This is the case that's going to put an end. Well, Kurt, let me thank you so much for your time. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the information, and I hope to see you again here on Maya Culpa really soon. There's just a lot going on. There is. It's a never-ending story. Yeah. The guy won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Voldemort. The guy just won't go away. I know. It so reminds me of like the movie the- Gladiator, right? When uh, <laughs> when he turns around and he says to Russell Crowe, why won't you just die, right? Now, I'm not wishing death on anybody, more, but I'm talking more, more about going away. I'm thinking more. More like a bad case of herpes, but, you know. (laughs) There you go. Kurt, thanks so much, my friend. I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about my conversation with Kurt Eichenwald, I am reminded of the dark forces that have emerged in the wake of a Trump presidency. In fact, Trumpism is perhaps even more frightening than Trump himself, as the former president appears to be more vulnerable than ever to prosecution. It's not a matter of if, but when Trump will be indicted. His world continues to shrink as the walls close in from myriad of investigations, lawsuits, and other attacks. The revelation from Stephanie Grisham's book lay bare that the man is finished. He's a fucking joke, a sad, disgusting buffoon who slimed his way into office on the back of something larger and more dangerous than he barely understands. That said, his disappearance from the national scene will not erase what the man has unleashed. Or for that matter, the infrastructure that exists already from the anti-vax movement, who has spun its bullshit pseudoscience into a movement that continues to pump out disinformation on a frightening scale and is responsible for the deaths of scores of Americans who believe that bullshit. What's terrifying is that it's no longer a small, radical fringe. Instead, we must contend with the fact that millions of Americans subscribe to these ideas. We are rushing headlong towards a showdown between these forces, an inevitable clash that will undoubtedly turn violent, making January 6th look like a Boy Scout jamboree. In his epic poem, The Hollow Men, T.S. Eliot wrote, This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. 
And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. This is my mail. Oh, baby, don't lie for me if I 